Hello? Hello? Yes? Who's this? Who are you looking for? What number is this? What number did you dial? Thirteen. You got the wrong number. No, I don't. Okay, bye. Hello? I'm sorry. I, I had the right number. Okay, no, you didn't, but I have your number, so... What, what's your app? I'm hanging up now. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't hang up. What? I just want to at you. There's Tinder for this. Goodbye. Hello? Why don't you follow me? Who is this? You follow me, I'll follow you. I don't think so. What, what's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn. Uh-huh. Do you use hot butter topping? What? I like lots of hot, greasy butter. Okay, I'm about to be on a podcast. I gotta go. Wait, 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 wait really? What, what podcast? A scary one. Oh, you like scary podcasts? Yeah. What's your favorite scary podcast? Um, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. Tell me your favorite. What's your favorite scary podcast? No Sleep Podcast? No, guess again. I bet you like lore. No, you're wrong. You get one more guess, and I'll give you it. This is episode 13. Wait. Is this... trying to make a movie with a bunch of cute actresses, that's all. But look what came out of it, though. It looks great. I was lucky. It was fun. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent. I am deep down in the tomb of doom. I am here joined via satellite by Dave, Kevin, and Kat. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hi. Great, how's it going? Hi. <laughs> looks great. You're uh, in various uh, cars and outhouses I'm uh, trying to phone this thing in so we can get it done. Uh, this week, we are talking slasher. Slasher is a classic horror genre. Uh, also, uh, certainly bleeds into a lot of thriller, uh, mystery, whodunit. Um, I would say that the firmest roots of the slasher film is in uh, early Italian giallo movies. 
uh, directors like Dario Argento, uh, Mario Bava in the 70s. They did these movies kind of based on Italian mystery fiction paperbacks, um, often with yellow covers, uh, hence the name. Um, and you'd find a lot of um, black-gloved killers. You didn't know who they were, but you'd see their hands and see the knives, and they would uh, certainly have a body count. These were essentially slasher movies. You have your unknown killer. Um, today... I think that um, the most solid definition of what is a slasher movie, you have a masked or unknown killer, you have groups of people, you, you need a body count of some kind, typically blades, I think you can have some gunplay going on, um, but you need the blades in there, and most importantly, I think you need a moving killer. The killer has to be chasing people around, he's going to different places, you can't just get away from him by leaving a fixed location. If he's just in a fixed location, I think uh, you're getting into more home invasion, uh, haunted houses, and things like that. Of course, these rules are squishy, um, and it's an ongoing debate. There's actually a cool site, Kevin, you might know about um, thefinalgirl.com. Yeah, I do. They, they have a whole thing about um, what constitutes a slasher movie and actually cite uh, Carol Clover, who we met in episode 10, Mockumentary, who wrote uh, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Um, and there's a lot of sort of, you can, you can debate these things um, down into the weeds, but I think we're looking at uh, masked unknown killers, uh, targeting groups, moving around, going anywhere, and everybody um, chose a slasher movie this week. All of these movies are meta to whatever degree, some to greater and some to lesser degrees. But I thought it was interesting everyone picked a uh, meta slasher. Um, Kat, once again, you went the oldest school of any of us with uh, Scream 1996, Wes Craven. I imagine this is one of your favorites. It really is. So I didn't think I'd be picking the oldest slasher movie, but it's definitely one of the classics for me. Definitely one of my favorites. Uh, when I think when I hear slasher, I just picture that ghost face. Yeah. I picture that knife just hey, slashing yo, boobs left on, and man? right. Yo, um, is I think just, this is just... a very twisty um, slasher film. Twists and turns around every corner. Um, one of the big things that I think threw a lot of people off, including myself, when this first came out, is you know cover star '90s uh, it girl. Drew Barrymore gets offed, you know, within the first 10 minutes. And I don't think anyone was expecting that when it first came out. Like, she was on the box. She was basically carrying this movie. And just to have her, you know, be axed like that quickly was, I think, a very, you know, it cemented this movie in the the uh, unexpected slasher situation. Did Drew Barrymore's character... Uh, influence your uh, vibe at all because I happened to notice when <laughs> this came on I was like that looks a lot like cat <laughs> so literally I, I watched this movie today and as soon as she came on the screen I was like oh that's my haircut <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, I, had like, the oh. I, I had the exact same thought um, during that whole sequence which is I think maybe my favorite sequence of the movie Drew actually gets the best scene. She was supposed to be mm -hmm. the lead in this, I believe, and then um, had to back out for some other scheduling conflicts and ended up doing that opening 
Um, and I had the same thought. I was like, boy, you know, she it's not just the hair, but somehow she her face kind of looks like you. Um, oh. And then it was like when the, the caller that keeps calling her starts doing these like horror movie quizzes and trying to catch her on technicalities. It was like if Kevin was prank calling Kat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, yeah, if, the, if Drew Barrymore uh, picked Halloween as her favorite movie, yeah, God. but then he tries, you know, we he got tries this whole to catch her between Cat and Michael Myers. I mean, maybe I've based my whole personality. Yeah, and then, that's right, because she picks Halloween, <laughs> and then this character. Um, I loved when uh, when um, Nightmare on Elm Street is mentioned, and she says uh, the first one was good, but the rest sucked. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that was great. kind of a. a <laughs> a funny thing by Wes Craven, but then the the um, the caller tricks her on the Friday the Thirteenth uh, trivia question, yeah, and that's where like I was like, oh, it's Kevin on the line calling her. <laughs> I, love that. I am Ghostface. that dialogue really bothered me. It, it almost extracted me from every scene that could have been potentially scary. I was just kind of distracted by the dialogue. Um, I did like all the horror movie references, but it, it could have been a little bit more subtle about it. Was it was very meta. Look, this this movie this movie is one of the biggest of all time. Um, I mean, you're talking about a movie that basically, for better or worse, revitalized the entire slasher genre. I mean, horror was dead. It did not have a pulse at the theater before Scream came along and kind of kicked it back into the mainstream. Um, you look at a movie that, that was made for $15 million and it pulled in uh, $173 million at the time, which today would be almost $300 million. Um, I love this movie. I think I went to see it six times in the movie theater when it was out. Um, that's how excited I was that horror was out. Well, it was, I mean, I was also in my teen years, so, I mean, it's a chance to bring six different girls to the movies, so, you know, win-win. Oh. Um, oh, Romeo. Did I get it all the ladies out there? Would like to go to the movies, you know, especially you, girl. Let me take it to the movies, sure. I'm sure later on you will be my baby. Let's sit down and just be by my side. I got the popcorn, I know what I do like. Let me take it to the movies, sure. I'm sure later on you will be my baby. I did some research on movies that came out in 1996 and there was not a lot of great horror movies. There was a lot of like really bad like Hellraiser sequels and just sequels that you never even heard of. Like when I looked through it, I was like really surprised. You had like Dust Till Dawn, you had The Craft, um, Frighteners, but there were really wasn't a lot at the time. Uh, anything good. This scream was definitely on the top of the pile as, as begrudging I am to say it. Um, <laughs> at the time, you know, it was an important movie. And, and that's that's why I'm saying for better or for worse. I mean, it spawned a bajillion studios greenlighting tons of horror movies that they probably wouldn't have had Scream not been such a success. I mean, after Scream, you had this run of things like, you know, Urban Legend, Final Final Destination series kicked off, uh, Halloween H2O, Bride of Chucky. Uh, it obviously birthed the scary movie uh, horror comedy franchise. Um, it just, it, it, it put a train on the tracks that it took quite a few years. I, you know, probably the horrible third uh entry in the Scream series finally slowed the train down, but you know, for better or worse, this really did kind of kick horror back up. I don't think you have um, 
some of the movies that we talked about last week, like Tucker and Dale, for example, without Scream. Um, this is this was probably my favorite movie this week. Um, it invented the meta slasher. You could say that uh, Wes Craven sort of started down this road with uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare a couple of years before, but this really invented the meta slasher, um, the self aware sort of self-parodying um most slashers since scream have been uh meta in some way or another like there really aren't a lot of totally straight straight played non uh aware slashers since then and i just i had so much fun watching this because i forgot more about it than i remembered i i forgot neve campbell um i just was thinking it was like Courtney Cox. Uh, I forgot Rose McGowan in yeah. Hollywood Prime. I forgot Henry Winkler, <laughs> of all people. Henry Winkler is in this, and he's tremendous. Um, so I really loved it. And and I thought, uh, again, out of all the, the movies we watched this week, which are all meta in one way or another, um, I just I thought this was far and away the best one. I can see why it is regarded um, by many as a, uh, a genre classic today. I think I think too, Dave. You mentioned, you know, from dusk till dawn. You know, it's important to know that Wes Craven directed this. Uh, obviously, famous from the Nightmare on Elm Street series, um, but this was almost not a Wes Craven movie. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, a uh, good friend of Quentin Tarantino, was actually attached to this before Craven. Uh, Danny Boyle. George Romero and Sam Raimi were all approached. Uh, and the writer of this movie, Kevin Williamson, who has gone on to do quite a bit of writing in our genre here, uh, he didn't like their take at it. Um, he actually thought that Craven got it the best. But uh, we always play what if with a lot of these movies when we find out, you know, Drew Barrymore could have been Sidney Prescott. Uh, you know, what, what, what would this movie have looked like if George Romero had done it? Um, so I think it's always fun to kind of see who is attached to things. Um, but ultimately you know this was you know sort of the rebirth of, of Wes Craven you know moving beyond Freddy finally um, and I'm glad he got it because um, you know I, I think he did a great job I think that uh, slashers are probably the most dumbed down that the genre gets um, and that's not really an insult I, I would say it's even more dumbed down than like horror comedy um, because at least in horror comedy, there's like this wit and this transparency that you know kind of what you're getting into. But um, yeah, I, I have kind of a hard time with slashers. They're they're fun, but like I didn't totally like when you mentioned scary movie. My thought was, well, that's a horror comedy of a horror comedy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I was like, um, how far does this? how far is this going to go? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, yeah, I couldn't remember. I kept confusing parts of scary movie with parts of <laughs> screen. <laughs> like I would think I was no, I would know, like I know what's happening next. I remember this part and then it would be something completely different. I think I saw a scary movie before I saw Scream, If I'm remembering it correctly. <laughs> wow. And so it was definitely that moment where I'm watching scream. I'm like, Oh, it's just like scary movie. I mean, I was, what, like 12? Probably shouldn't have been watching either of them. But um, Scream was actually originally called Scary Movie mm -hmm. before it got its name changed to Scream, yeah, which I think buddy, is funny. By our buddy Harvey Weinstein. Oh, Harvey. <laughs> oh, great. He said, you can't well, call it Scary Movie. You gotta call it Scream. 
No, tell Ray to come up to my hotel room. Oh, <laughs> no, cancel. You know, you could tell you could tell how old this movie is uh, when at one point the girls are pining over getting a glimpse of Tom Cruise's penis. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they don't know what Scientology is yet. Yeah, what movie were they watching where they were trying to get a glimpse of his penis? Um, all the right moves. All the right moves. Yeah. All right. Oh. <laughs> Just like, Mission Impossible oh, I, 2. I rented all the right moves tonight. You get to see Tom's penis. <laughs> the the Richard Gear line's pretty great too. Apparently that almost got them sued. What did yeah. they say about him? Uh, there was they the whole rumor the... going on at the time that Richard Gear had a uh, habit of uh Doing something with gerbils. Be careful. With the rodents, yes. No, he stuffed gerbils in his asshole. <laughs> okay, that's not being careful. <laughs> that was the rumor at the time. Right up the asshole. No, that's a fact. That's a fact that your gear put gerbils in his asshole. I think one thing that we should talk about is the the one of the things that this movie kicked off is the voice of Ghostface became an absolute like iconic voice. So, loving this movie as much as I have, seeing it as many times as I did, I always assumed, maybe stupidly, that the voice of Ghostface was the actual actors themselves. So in this in this instance in Scream, I assume that it was the, the I don't think we're doing any fucking spoilers on Scream. If you haven't <laughs> seen it, then sorry, fuck off. Um, so you've got the two killers. So I always assumed that that, you know, Billy Loomis uh, and Stu were doing, you know, their own voices through sort of some effects. But that's not the case. There's actually one guy that did the voice of Ghostface and his name is Roger L. Jackson. Um, and he's got a huge history of all these voices. Uh, one that blew me away was he's been the voice of a Powerpuff girl uh, in both the long-running show and the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But if you if knowing that when I watched it this time, he did such a phenomenal job doing the nuances of the two killers in Scream. Uh, if you really listen closely, like there's times where he's talking and you can hear him almost do like the chuckle, like Matthew Lillard as Stu does. Like he'll do like a, <laughs> and then like all of a sudden he'll get really serious again, and you can tell that Billy's back on the phone. Yeah, I think my favorite character from Scream is Matthew Lillard's character, solely for the end. When he's like, are you really going to call the police? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, my parents are going to be so mad at me. And he's like crying and spitting out blood. I'm like, yes, your parents are going to be really upset. That guy- thank, thank you for saying Matthew Lillard instead of Matthew Lillard. Lillard. Like said. Makes him sound like some sort of like Juilliard like actor. Like, oh, Matthew Lillard. Oh, that Matthew guy- Lillard from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> He had Look, that the, guy had an, uh, an, a crazy uh, job in the movie. I kept uh, being like, um, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't say impressed, but like he was cast as the impossibly over animated wise guy, party guy. Like every single scene requires him to like jump on someone's back and like slap somebody <laughs> and, and like make wise guy jokes. I mean, he just, it, he's like some kind of um, really budget Jim Carrey as a teenager or something like that. He's, <laughs> he's wearing the silk bathrobe at the party. It's just like so over the top as, as that role. Um, and he, he really embraced it. 
he's admitting like the whole movie pretty much all his lines are just admitting that he's the killer yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so the, the, i think the cast of this movie is one of the you know most unbelievable the people that they pulled in for it um, great cast you got you guys are talking about matthew lillard uh he actually wasn't auditioning for the role he was bringing his girlfriend to a different audition and was just hanging out in the hall and the casting director for scream saw him in the hall and was like hey you have a minute to come uh, audition for this so i imagine that there was probably a breakup shortly after uh you know he got the part <laughs> well he almost uh, uh beaker from the muppets was initially supposed to play his part <laughs> kevin I, ha I have a question for kevin um you know, there's a lot of there's an endless amount of references to past horror movies in this. Um, and when I was watching it, I was thinking, man, Kevin must be like buying a new notebook just for this movie because there's so <laughs> much of that going on. There is a, um, a, there's a reference to the town that dreaded sundown in one scene, yep. right? A direct mm -hmm. reference. Um, my favorite killing in the movie, and I think one of the most iconic killings in, in recent horror or slasher um, cinema is the garage door, cat door killing of Rose McGowan. Yes, I'm with you. I love that. It was yeah. so good. <laughs> but I wanted to ask Kevin because I wasn't sure I caught it. Right before that happens, doesn't she say, I spit on your garage? Yes. Did yes, you catch she that? Does. Yes. Okay. I, I, didn't, okay. I don't need a notebook. There's actually a website that literally lists every single reference down to the most <laughs> subtle. I mean, and you'd it's have like, to be an idiot to not notice all of them, though. I mean, they're so blatant. Yeah, I mean, well, But there's actually, a lot. No. Yeah, there's, That's there's, part of the dialogue that kind of got that war on me after a while. It's just like, right. all right, I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, like when, when somebody's like, oh, it sounds like a Wes Carpenter movie. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Okay. I mean, she doesn't know the difference between Craven and John Carpenter, but it's not the most <laughs> it's not the most believable um one off. There there was one thing in this movie that uh, that kind of flipped my thinking as like when I first started this movie, I remember seeing that costume and being like that is about as scary as Joanne Fabric. That, that's the lamest <laughs> costume. But, but you know, then, then it becomes that the genericness of the costume is what makes it scary because all the kids in school are so immature that they're wearing the costume and scaring the girl in the bathroom that mm -hmm. just got, you know, attempted murdered. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up liking the costume by the end. But when I first watched it, I was talking so much shit. It's, <laughs> I'm it's, sure. It's another thing, too, like speaking of the costume or just the killer in general, I don't know of a movie that has the killer get his ass kicked as much as Scream. Like, I love mm. how much the killer takes a beating in this. And then if you, watch, yeah. if you watch two and three, they just like, it almost gets comedic by the third one, like the shit that they, you know, throw at the killer. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that. You know, finally, you know, like a killer takes a door to the face, you know, and, you know, I think in a lot of these slasher films, traditional ones, you know, you don't ever see like Jason fall down or anything, you know, he just keeps plowing forward. Yeah, he, he takes a lot of bumps. Um, and uh, he ends up, I think, Dave, you mentioned he ends up in the ladies room of the high school at some point. But right mm -hmm. before right before he reveals himself, um, there is a I, I, I think is a classic sort of trope scene when um, Sydney, 
That's uh, Neve's character, right? Sydney? Yep. Yes. Yep. When Sydney is in the bathroom and she overhears, the other girls don't know that she's in there. She's in the stall and she overhears them talking about her. Like that, mm-hmm. to me, I feel like that's been in at least 10 movies. The classic, you know, girls' room over here, people trashing you. Kat, did you ever, I was curious if you ever had a <laughs> oh personal experience. Were you ever like in, the, or even in a, in a uh, restaurant or bar bathroom, were you ever in the bathroom, in the ladies' room, when there was some sort of uh, coven going on and, and maybe you were. <laughs> that I wasn't su- invited to? Were, yeah, and maybe you were the subject of that coven's conversation? Um. I I wish that I was that important in high school that someone would have been having a weird conversation about me in a bathroom somewhere, but I guess I'm wondering if I would have been, because with that trope, the person either, like, swings that door open and, you know, comes out all proud and is like, well, actually, I do this and blah, 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 blah. Or, like in Scream, they just sit there and cry with that ugly yes. cry face. That's what you would I do, I def- think. Yeah, I would definitely be the ugly crier. And I'd be like, why are they picking on me? I don't even know. So, so you just you just never heard it, is what you're telling me. Yeah, I didn't, I, but, you know, they, if they people want to text you never, me. You never caught them. Yeah, just, like, people can, like, send me texts about what they feel about me, and I can cry in my apartment and not say anything. Chad, do you remember the, uh, there was a bathroom incident. Uh, we were at a club in New York, and uh, there was a couple in the bathroom having sex and I pulled up into the bathroom because I had to go number two (laughs) so I go into the bathroom and I'm going number two and they're having sex and other people start coming to the bathroom and they just start screaming like oh my god do you smell her (laughs) because uh, this girl was getting all this shame for the smell of my butthole. <laughs> and I, I felt like, you know, I should come forward and I should say, no, that poor girl, uh, her vagina does not smell like that. Oh. That was indeed my butthole. I'm going to write that like into that. I'm going to write that into my movie. In my movie, so I'm going to I'm going to do this classic <laughs> scene. But in my classic scene, it will be like that and it'll be like, "Oh my god." Can you believe how she smells? But it's really just the like loser in the other in the far end of the stall going to the bathroom, and then a whole yeah. the, around the whole school, everybody starts whispering about you know her her vagina smells like butt. Right. Now that was a true story that really happened, and I don't remember. I felt that for the girl and the other thing, so I kind of know what that's like to be in the stall, and you hear the people outside talking. Story that you want to throw up. <laughs> Um, also, the uh, the TV killing, pretty classic in this one, and that, that certainly mm-hmm. has roots that go way back to the Lost Boys, and, and before that, I'm sure, Death by TV, pretty classic stuff there. Yeah, that reminded me of a scene from uh, Dream Warriors, the third third Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Uh, like, welcome we'll to prime the, time, bitch. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there, bud. We're, we're going to get there next it's too bad that these days you can't use a television as a weapon anymore. No. They're like these thin little flimsy. That's and they're not going to hurt anyone. They're too big. <laughs> yeah. You, I'm going to keep one of those old school TVs around just for self-defense. <laughs> yeah. The, the, smart, smart. the smart TV is not going to do shit. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I think that this, this movie made it. And, and one of the things that leading up to this episode, I talked about at least with Dave 
is, um, you know, I think of myself as a, a fan of the slasher film. But when you go back and you think the slasher, the classic slasher era is really 74-ish on, say, Black Christmas, even though eh, more home invasion, really. But um, when you start going back and, and re-watching a lot of these old slashers, they're just they're not actually that good. Um, and I feel like they sort of – it got to a point where – I think that Scream really is something that this movie really recognized is that the slasher genre had to become self-aware to do anything else with it. Like it had been done. It wasn't really – it was never smart. It was never really you know, high film. And I feel like it, it, it had to become self-aware. And after Scream, almost every slasher is. And the rest of the movies we're going to talk about are all – meta and all self-aware about what they're doing because I just don't think they have another choice uh, in many cases. The thing that you're glossing over here with slashers is you're completely ignoring Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which is a smart slasher and it came early on in the race. I'm um, not ignoring it, but there's no body count really to speak of and it's in one place. I would call it more of a haunted hotel than a slasher. Mm, no, there's no ghost. Where's the body count? Here's that one uh, body that sits does, in that I, chair. I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I know that he doesn't it's a slasher. Go any, he, like, it's not, he doesn't go anywhere. It's not like he's going to follow you to the police station or anything. Well, I mean, I think that one of the important things that we've left out is that slashers were really rooted in real serial killers. The whole genre started because people started to make movies about Albert Fish and these right. real serial killers. Right. So I think that's a big part of the, the slasher genre. So I, I think that, that Psycho would absolutely fall into that. I mean, it definitely checks off enough of the boxes for, you know, the roots of how the, the whole subgenre started. Yeah. And it's got that same twist, like killing off the, the you know, the name, the name person of the film within the, in the first scene. So it's very unsuspecting. I think a lot of the best slashers are just a fun time and a fun ride, and I thought Scream was that. Moving on to Kevin's choice this week, Freddy versus Jason, <laughs> 2003, directed by Ronnie Yu, whose catalog, uh, he has a pretty vast catalog of films. I would never suspect him of making Freddy versus Jason <laughs> in 2003. Um, this one, uh, you know, let's uh, let's let. Kevin, kick this one off. Tell us about Freddy versus Jason, Kevin. Well, I mean, like Dave said, um, he thinks that slashers should be, you know, mostly be a fun watch. Um, 
I don't think you need much of an introduction for this movie. You have two of the most iconic slashers uh, in history in the same movie. Um, initially, they're kind of working together, uh, but then ultimately they end up fighting, thus the title, Freddy versus Jason. Um, <clears throat> and you talked about a body count, Trent. Uh, a lot of people die in this movie. I think the kill count gets up over 20. Sure. Um, I mean, it's a slasher. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I picked this um, because I was so excited when this was finally announced. It had been long rumored, um, you know, and I can get into it later with just how many stops and starts and, and potential people tied to this movie. You know, uh, one of them was Peter Jackson, who seems to find his way into every single episode that we do. Um, but I picked it because it was literally my, my introduction to horror was Freddy and it was Jason back in the early 80s uh, and to see the two of them in a movie together finally um, was was just super fun was it everything you had hoped for i don't think so um <laughs> i think that i think this movie had the potential to um to be a lot a lot better than it was but you know i think at, at the time you know freddie after the first like two maybe three nightmare on elm street movies had really become more of a comedian than a horror mm -hmm. figure um you know dave talks about hating slow slashers which jason is definitely like the the king of them all and in this movie it's it was almost they slowed him down to almost like a comedic yeah, speed. Yeah. I mean, that dude was basically he he was slower than zombies in like a Romero flick. Um, <laughs> I I think there's a lot of classic uh, Jason kills in this that are super dope. Um, I think that uh, you know some of the effects are cool. Um, I love you know some of the uh, the classic nods to the the dream sequences from Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, that there's one set in a police station that kind of reminded me of the first movie's uh, high school scene uh, where Nancy kind of wakes up and is in a dream sequence. Um, so it, it, it gave me what I needed from both of the franchises that I loved. I just I think that there was a better way to maybe tie it all together and, and have a, a better overall product. But I will say it's a it's a hell of a fun watch. I thought it was very fun. I hadn't seen it since it first came out when I was just a youngin. Um, so my rewatch, my hopes weren't very high because we've been watching such highbrow uh, horror films. But I liked the new metal that they played in a lot of that movie. It was very early 2000s. Um, I think the scariest part for me, putting myself, you know, using some empathy and putting myself maybe in that situation was the kid who was just super baked and then had to deal with the Freddy versus Jason situation. <laughs> and I was like, that's literally my nightmare is just like eating an edible or something and just being like sitting there. And then all of a sudden I have to deal with these two slashers just trying to get at me. So in that, that was probably the scariest part for me personally, besides the fake boobs everywhere. It was just two perfect circles I, I talk on everyone's that. chest. <laughs> Yeah, the girl, the girl who's from uh, Ginger Snaps, Catherine Isabel, is the first one. She's the first one who gets naked in the shower. It's like, oh and no, she, and she has sex. No, no there's boob, there's boobs in under oh, a the minute. Intro. Oh, yeah, in under a minute. One, under one minute is really yeah, she's impressive. Like, Fake boobs. That she's like, I don't know where you are. I guess I'll just jump in the water. It's like, what, girl? No, you don't know where he is. 
Like, you're like, oh, nice. Oh, good. You want, you know, you want boobs in a slasher. You want to get those. And you're like, oh, yeah, boobs right away. Giant silicone abominations of nature staring at you. I mean, like, just ridiculous. I mean, I'm not here to body shame, but the early 2000s had a very serious fake boob sphere problem. That's all I'm going to say. And it's Dave, like CGI. Just, CGI boobs. Just, just to let the people know, those are not Catherine Isbell's boobs. What she is was, CGI? She refuses to do new <laughs> scenes, and she was duped into that by the director. She fucking <gasps> hates this movie, and if you look up like some trash talking she does, so when oh. he when he revealed the shower scene with her, she made him go find a body double for her. <gasps> well, wow. probably the first, one, the first one so in the first scene just reused it. You know, the thing I didn't like about this movie is I feel like since Jason came about, all the, everything stemmed from Jason being disrespected. His mom was standing up for him being bullied. And then mm. over the course of all these sequels, you just see Jason, who's a very scary dude. He's scary. He's one of the best slashers. And his reputation has just been put in the garbage. Yeah. And this was the nail in the yeah. coffin for Jason because <laughs> Freddy just uses him the whole time. Yeah. Like, Jason doesn't even know why he's back from the dead and why he's doing this. And Freddy kind of makes him his bitch. And I don't like that. It makes me want to get a ski mask or, or a, a hockey mask. And just start killing people to to make Jason have a fucking respectable name. But that's the th so that's again. the thing. Am I wrong in that this entire movie you're totally rooting for Jason? Like oh, uh, absolutely. No, when, yeah. they, you're wrong. when they start no. fighting, you're like, no. I can't wait for Jason no. to fuck this guy up. You're you're not uh, rooting. You're not rooting what? for anything. You're rooting for it to be over. <laughs> you see, Jason was my son. And today is his birthday. I'm a messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. Well, no, I, I, I agree that it's very, very cheesy. And if it's kind of a shame to talk about this first for Friday the 13th or even Nightmare on Elm Street because it's, it's a low point in her career. Yes. Don't let her get away, Mommy. Don't let her live. I won't, Jason. I won't. There was a lot of controversy surrounding this pick because Kevin had emphasized to me what a huge disappointment this movie was to him. And I was like, well, why do you want to talk about it? Um, but it does have a lot of history, and it does have a place in you know the slasher genre because of these two coming together. Well, Look, I, uh, I thought it you, was fun. Listen, this, this I, movie, I, Kevin, Sorry, I ahead, know, Trent. I know your childhood, all that. Even though it came no, out in no. two thousand and three, two thousand three, you were you were a fully grown ass man. Okay, so yeah, that's not I, I, was I understand for, the childhood angle, even though I you're realize an adult. you guys really you've already told, you already shamed me um, privately, so now you have to do it publicly. No, I appreciate that. No, it shows it shows like the real camaraderie or you're the maturity not level that we out. have on this you're, podcast. I'm, we're not here to whisper in the corner, Kevin. Yeah, the, we're not here to look, uh, me not say how we I feel. I need to go cry in a bathroom stall. You, had, you didn't make this hey. movie. You had your chance to set this up. Uh, now, what I'm going to tell you. Is that I? I'm not. I don't want to be. I'm not coming in here tonight to be cast as a guy who doesn't like things, 
guy who wants to pick on people's choices and things like that. I I love this stuff. That's why I'm here. Um, I think that if you go back through every recorded episode, you will hear uh, very few pans from me. And I watched this movie like two weeks ago when you first uh, mentioned it. it. Was like sort of a dare. I think I think Dave actually dared me to watch it one night at like two a.m. And I was like, fine, I'll watch it. And uh, and coming into tonight, I really, as a professional, as a podcaster, as a connoisseur, as a man. I wanted to watch it again, so I watched it again last night. I rented it again, the second time I rented this thing. Um, and I, I, I definitely I didn't like it anymore whatsoever, but I was able to understand more about what I didn't like, you know, and so I could appreciate it on a level of, like, I know now more why I, I don't like it, so I can appreciate it more on that level. Um, that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's a bad choice or a bad, uh, you know, for anyone else. Me, personally, um, I would never recommend that, you know, anyone watch this. I will say that that one scene, like the cornfield scene, was pretty dope. Like when everything's on fire and he's like, you know, stabbing people with his fiery machete. Mm. I thought that was a pretty cool scene. And There's then he some- stabbed the rapist. Some great Jason kills in this. I mean, when Catherine Isbell gets out of the shower, you know, I mean, he destroys her shitty boyfriend, you know, in in the intro, like the bed scene, like snaps the the dude. That's the best um, kill. There's some great Jason kills. I liked the head falling off of the dad when he was like, Dad, what? And it it tumbled. That's like a thing that Jason always does is he, they always like set up these characters for you to hate them. And then you always get retribution somewhere in the film when Jason eventually kills that character and you're, like, psyched. He's a man for the people, you know? He's here for us. He's taking care of business. On the one hand, in something like this, it's like they've upped the technology on the kills, although there's so much CGI killing. I'm surprised, Dave, that that didn't um, bum you out a little bit. But, you know, there's, there's a diminishing return on taking these kills so far over the top like it's one thing in the original movie when people are having sex and they get stabbed with a spear through the bed like oh but then it's like he kicks a guy's head 50 feet across a cornfield like it's just not i feel like there's a diminishing there that's like okay i know it's crazier it's more over the top and it's more like graphic and you have more technology but you know, is that really a more effective? Uh, to me, I, I don't think it is. Well, I mean, this this movie, they've been trying to make this movie since 1987. So think about the fact that, you know, it took almost 16 years for them to finally make this thing. And in 87 is when Freddie and Jason were in their heyday. So Sean Cunningham, who, who started the Friday the 13th franchise, he was trying to work it out with New Line to get to get Freddie and, and Jason in a movie together. Um, mm, but yeah, I read the whole about production hell. Yeah. I mean, just think of how many movies didn't take 16 years to make, and they're very, very good. <laughs> yeah, you guys kind of took the wind out of my sails to really continue talking about the movie, so let's move on. So, Kevin, just take it from right... The last thing I said was, like, I wouldn't recommend this, and then you pretty much cut out. So why don't you just finish it and, and do whatever you want to do to uh, finish it off? That's totally fine. Uh, 
Oh, okay, Trent, let's fucking move on. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, this movie, you know, for better or for worse, it it had a big it had a big uh, box office take, uh, one hundred and sixteen million dollars, which is the highest of all time in the Friday the Thirteenth series, uh, and the second highest in Nightmare on Elm Street behind the horrible remake that came, I think, about eight years later. Um, so everyone was clamoring for a sequel, like the hey, this movie made money. Um, but the thing is, is they spent so much money on marketing that nobody really knows if this movie was profitable or not. I mean, they even had Freddie and Jason do a weigh-in in Vegas, like they were going to a boxing match. And they actually had um, Michael Buffer, who is the let's get ready to rumble guy, uh, present for it. So they spared no money um, promoting this thing. Um, but speaking of sequels, they were actually in development to do Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. And it was so close to happening that Bruce Campbell confirmed it in an interview that he was deep in talks with New Line. Um, the reason it fell apart wasn't necessarily money. It was the fact that New Line was reluctant to let Ash, uh, quote, vanquish these iconic slashers. Um, I mean, killing them has never exactly stopped more movies. Um, but Bruce Campbell was actually reluctant to, to outright sign on to the movie if Ash wasn't going to outright win. Um, the idea did, however, come to life in a six-issue comic book series that came after. Um, but I thought that that would yeah. have been kind of a fun movie to uh, to see. And it's not I, I like killing. I wouldn't watch it. And that, and that, ladies and gentlemen, was uh, Speak All Evil's take on yeah. Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> so evil. tonight, when they get home, I'll be waiting. I've got someone to kill. I know uh, the film I picked was The Town of Dreaded Sundown, 2014. Uh, it's actually a sequel to the 1976 original by the same name. Uh, this sequel was directed by Alfonso Gomez Rejon, who's mostly known for his work on American Horror Story. Um, I picked this movie hastily. <laughs> I had originally picked Obviously. Maniac 1980, but I switched it up at the 25th hour because I wanted to pick something that was newer. Because um, sometimes um, I find movies from my childhood don't age well. So I was a little afraid of some of these old slashers. Because uh, like I said, they are pretty dumbed down. Um, but that's where I went wrong. Because, you know, the golden age of slashers is definitely the 70s and 80s, um, mostly because of uh, like Tom Savini, uh, the practical effects master. Um, the original town, The Dreaded Sundown, uh, is based on the true moonlight murders that happened in Texarkana, Arkansas, in the spring of 1946. And since its release, the anniversary has become a pseudo-holiday in Texarkana, where they show the film at local drive-ins and movie theaters, and I just want to point out that uh, Arkansas is probably the only stupid, backward, hillbilly-ass state that would celebrate such an L. <laughs> uh, yes. For some reason, I know it's the so South weird. loves to revel in defeat. It's bizarre. Also, the, the Phantom Killer dons a very similar look to a KKK member. 
<laughs> uh, with a white potato sack or a pillowcase that has two eye holes cut into it. Well, also the the first uh, the first two Friday the thir- the Friday the Thirteenths had the bag, the pillowcase. Yeah, but with just one one eye. Oh, hole true, cut out. true, true. But what we're talking about is the sequel to that original movie, um, which you kind of have to cite the first movie um, because this is the story of Texarkana getting murdered while they celebrate the anniversary of the original film uh, or the original killings. That whole turducken vibe drew me toward it. (laughs) I was surprised, Dave, you know, when I started looking into this movie, like, wait a minute, this guy's done a bunch of like glee and American horror story shows. That's kind of his directorial background. And wait a minute. uh, So this is a Ryan Murphy thing. And wait, Blumhouse. Jason Jason Blum produced this. I was like, he never. Wow. All the people I hate. Jason Jason had never even seen it. He was just like, whatever. We can make it for you know five million bucks. Throw some spaghetti at the wall. Well, it's you know. So I think the weirdest thing about this, not 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 even getting into like the meat and potatoes of the film, there are so many heavy hitters behind this movie, and it never got a theatrical release. Oh, it did. I mean. No, this movie's so polished, oh. and there's all these people behind it, all these, all these actors. I mean, I think like even yeah. the sc- the score was done. I mean, you had Edward Herman um, from Lost Boys as Reverend Cartwright. You had Anthony Anderson in this thing. Um, there's so many people. Uh, it's Ludwig Göransson who did the score for this. Uh, he won an Academy Award for Black Panther, his work on Venom. Uh, but he's also a, a Grammy-winning record producer that works with Childish Gambino, Chance the Rapper, Haim. I mean, he did This Is America. Like, you had insane talent on this movie, and they literally just dumped it out into streaming. That's so weird that it did. I never would have guessed that it did get a theatrical release. There was a, a whole bunch of good people in the... I watched, so I watched both Town, The Dreaded Sundowns, and I I liked, I didn't hate the first one. It was very campy, it was very, uh, Trent, how did you describe it? Uh, Budget Zodiac meets the Dukes of Hazzard. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I would say that's a very, a very good description of it. Um, I had always heard, this is like, the the original is a very classic slasher film based off of the OG Lovers Lane, you know, hook in the side of the car kind of uh, situation. Yes. Yeah. But um, just looking into like, if you actually look into you know the Phantom of Texarkana, the Moonlight Murders, it was all like there was never really an ending to it like they never found you know they never convicted anybody it was just a a real major bummer and the guy that the um the texas ranger you know the main character guy is like based off of was such a tool in real life like he showed up you know elbows out being like i'm the only one that's talking to the press and i'm doing that and he always had like a perfect like a perfect white like cowboy hat like 10 gallon hat with like a you know a perfect suit on and he was just such a tool like he would take all the all the work that all the other policemen did like he'd hop in the car and have them like brief him on everything and then like go to the press and be like this is what i found and like he was just it was just not a fun irl case and it's kind of a bummer because they had a few suspects but no evidence ever really came to fruition. It was all circumstantial. And so now there's, you know, I think the big pull to this, 
you know, is that Texarkana has that film showing every year, and they're always like, he could still be walking among us, like, 70 years later. And it's just like, it's it's funny, but the, the, the sequel was definitely, like, a, a very, you know, boob-centric modern horror movie. Mm. I those those people movies. in Arkansas that that celebrate this this movie and these killings every year, they're definitely protesting to go outside <laughs> in the midst of the coronavirus. <laughs> so, yes. so this this movie this is a meta sequel in that um, the movie itself, the characters, the the place is aware of the original movie. So they take you right into it's Halloween night in Texarkana and the original the town that dreaded sundown is being shown at the drive-in so right away it sets the table with this very meta thing um the one thing the first thing um that came to my mind is they set it on Halloween night uh and yet there are no costumes anywhere there are no decorations anywhere at all there are no parties there are no talk of parties. Nobody mentions that it's Halloween again after no, they just say it's, it's not Halloween. No, the first yeah, it's Halloween. It's night. the anniversary of the killing. It's Halloween night. The first when they show the drive-in, the first killing. Oh, the first one. Yeah, when the the the, the film is set on, originally on Halloween night, they're at the drive-in. They're showing that movie, but you wouldn't know it's Halloween night except they just say on Halloween night. It's just a small oh, yeah, example that, of how of that Halloween. was a workaround. Yeah, that was it, a workaround for budget because they couldn't afford Halloween costumes. That's yeah, why they, they just had some, a some sack with holes in it. Yeah. They spent like it all that. on Anthony Anderson. It, it's just an yeah. example of of, uh, of how lazy um, the movie is, and and what a you know this is just again this is just Jason Bloom being like whatever. Here's five million bucks. See if you can do something. I've never even heard of this. <laughs> um, but my my main my main thrust here, if I can have any take on this, and there's other stuff that um, I thought was interesting about the movie, is uh, for Kevin. Kevin, I didn't like this any more than Freddy vs. Jason. I just <laughs> want you to know, man to man, friend to friend, co-host to co-host, I'm not picking on you or your choice. I thought these were both stinkers, and, and you guys both picked bad movies this week. Just for me personally, that doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means it didn't tickle my you know horror bone if you know what i mean your penis um what well <clears throat> when, when kevin recommends a movie to me and i watch it and i don't like it i want to kill him <laughs> <laughs> that's true i remember i remember loaning you the movie frontiers dave and it was like a burned copy and you were so fucking pissed at me because it had a scratch on it, apparently. And you kept getting yes. like three quarters of the way through it and it was stuck. <laughs> and yes. I remember coming, like, you literally wanted to fight me at your apartment one day because you were I like, all I want to do you. is finish this movie. Did you guys fight? You didn't fight? <laughs> no, I don't no. think either of us are much of fighters. We're not. I just go straight to murder. Kevin, I know you're uh, you're still licking your wounds um, from F Freddy versus Jason, but I'm hoping that my admission that I didn't like this one any better will help you um, move into this one. I'd like to hear what you thought about it. I I have uh, admittedly been incredibly sensitive about Freddy versus Jason, um, mm. so I will be very very uh, self aware about that. Um, you know what? I kind of like <sighs> this. Um, I know. 
I know everything that's wrong with it. Hey, look. Look. I mean, I think all of us, well, maybe not all of us, I will watch the worst horror movie before I'll watch, like, the best movie in any other genre. Yeah. I'll sit down that's and watch true. Mosquito <laughs> before I sit there and watch he Gravity. Will. Okay? He tried to get me to watch The Boogeyman one time. Yeah, it's, it's anything's game for me. Uh, look, the ending is so lazy and oh. so bad. Um, <laughs> they just did Scream. It's yeah, so they bad. Just did yeah, they just did Scream. Scream. But it made um, less sense than Scream. But you know what? I am kind of a sucker for the fact that it was like this meta sequel where, you know, they're talking about the original movie was actually made about real murders and the town is celebrating it. I love the way that they brought in the original movie's director's son, um, Charles Pierce Jr., that he's still like roaming around the town and he knows who the killer is. Um, but there, there's some kind of smart horror stuff in this, like uh, Reverend Cartwright. Um, who's played by Edward Herman, who was Max from the Lost Boys. Um, he passed oh. away in 2014. He, he passed away in 2014. This was actually his last film. So RIP, Mr. Herman. Um, did, do you guys notice that when they all started investigating, they traced like these shitty emails that somebody had written. They traced them back to, to the Reverend. That gave me like a super BTK vibe. Because if you remember, mm, Dennis yeah. Rader got caught because he was yeah. working at a church. Yeah. yeah, sending emails uh, into the FBI um, that they eventually traced back there. Um, yeah, I like the fact, Trent, that there was microfiche in this. Come on, they mentioned you're, you're, you're it, but fan? they did. They mentioned it, but they didn't show it. Oh, you need to see it. Okay. Um, I also like the fact, and I couldn't find anything to confirm this, but the killer with the with the sack over his face and the two eye holes. The only distinctive feature he had was very, very blue eyes. And did you notice how many people in this movie had blue eyes? Like, I swear to God, they must have made a bunch of actors wear contacts to try to make you think, ooh, that could be the killer, or that could be the killer. I mean, again, I'm a sucker. Maybe I'm looking for reasons to like a movie or looking for things to pick up on. Um, it had some cool kills. I mean, come on, trombone. Um, so... So it wasn't a trombone. I think we talked about this before. It was a saxophone, but it literally had n nobody got murdered with any weird knifely tied instruments. So I, I thought that was cool in the original that they were like, you know what? This is going to be a trombone now and you're going to get stabbed with it. But also, I guess uh, you guys tell me you are musicians. Would you be able to blow into a trombone if you have a, a sack over your face? Oh, you wouldn't. Well, he doesn't make no, a note, wouldn't. though. He just kind of uses it as a mime to stab. Just to stab. He doesn't. Pl he doesn't play it. There's no note that comes out of it. He tries. He's just kind of miming oh. it. I think that that's what has made this movie so legendary is that it has that unique death scene with mm -hmm. with a trombone. But that's from the first. Yeah, the, that's also from the first movie. Right, but I, I feel like if if that scene didn't happen, it it really wouldn't stand out. Probably right. Um, I really liked, um, and I mean like, I mean like sarcastically, <laughs> when um, there's like an old grandmother and her granddaughter is asking her about the killings, and she says, "quote Nobody knew exactly who he was or what he did." And I'm like, well, they know exactly what he did, for sure. We know what he did. It just, there was so much of this throwaway stuff, and that really reminded me, like, I'm not one of these guys that knows 
every line from Spinal Tap at all, but a few stay with me. And all I could think was um, when they do the Druid narration, and it's like, nobody knows who they were or what they were doing. <laughs> like, it was that equivalent. It was like that stupid of a thing just transposed into a horror movie. Um, I did appreciate the extra brutality in this that's not in the first one. Like, the first one's the killings are pretty tame. You don't get a lot of brutality. I like brutality. I want to see savagery and blood and stuff. But um, I would liken this to Freddy versus Jason in that sometimes, like, when you get to the sixth or seventh stab and it's got that, like, really loud sound effect, shh, going in and blood is squirting like 30 feet in the air um it kind of takes a little bit of the oomph out of it like when you there's a scene where he kills someone in the front seat of a car and he's stabbing her you know again and again and it's loud and somehow they're in the front seat yeah. the the back windshield becomes <laughs> yeah. totally splattered with blood beyond like this is just you know, they're not even trying to even just make, like, physical sense. Like, just, it's so out there. Did you guys pick up on, uh, when the director's son, when uh, Charles Pierce Jr., did you pick up on what I thought was, like, a Zodiac reference? When he's trying to tell them who the real killer was, um, he says, uh, he infers that the Phantom hopped the train to California. Um, I think he's. I think he's like (laughs) inferring that the Phantom went to California and reappeared in the '60s, '70s as the Zodiac. Uh, Nice. Well, it's that scene from Zodiac where the guy looks exactly like the Phantom Killer. Right. Yeah. Where the Um, the people are picnicking. I I appreciated the um, the young guy who helps Jamie with the investigation later in the movie. and becomes sort of the love interest for Jamie. Their first date is he invites her to a candlelight vigil for murdered people. <laughs> I was like, I've never seen him. He's like, so um, what are you doing tonight? Uh, do you want to go to the vigil? And they go to the, they go to the candlelight vigil as a date. I've never heard of that. And then someone dies there, so... Have you seen? I mean, uh, that's the kind of date uh, I would ask like Cat out on or something. Oh, you have a horror podcast. I feel like that's Do you like, want to go to this so to, murder vigil? You have to know yeah, your audience. It would work on me. I wouldn't say no. <laughs> Okay, so um, my selection this week, Lake Bottom 2016. This is a nasty little Finnish movie. Um, And I don't mean that it's done. I mean that it's from Finland. Um, This was also inspired by, not based on, but inspired by a true crime episode, the 1960 Lake Bottom Murders. Um, this is uh, directed and co-written by um, Tanelli Mustoen. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, I really like this. I thought this was the least meta of the four. It is still a little bit meta because they kind of there is some twisting up. It's not totally straight, but it's not sarcastic. It's not self-aware. It's not a satire of other movies. You have four teens going camping at a camping site where people were murdered uh, under various false pretenses. One teen wants to recreate the 
the crimes and, and he's trying to like work on the case and uh, everything goes pretty crazy from there. What'd you guys think of this one? I love this movie. There's very little you can say without giving away the plot. Yeah. Mm. And the, the plot is essential, which is very rare to find in a slasher movie. And I appreciated that, that this had a pretty smart plot. It had good dialogue. Um, it was believable. Um, I thought Lake Bottom was a great movie. It was very twisty. There were some twists. I was kind of out of it, I would say, because like, it's a little harder for me sometimes when I can't hear it, when it's just subtitles, for me to stay on board. So sometimes I'll, you know, go in and out a little bit. But all of a sudden I look up and there was some twists happening. And I'm like, oh, oh, rewind, you know. It was good. I liked it. I think it was it was a top pick for me this week. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, for, for straight horror, um, no emotions attached. This was easily the best horror movie or slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Um that we watched this week um and again trent like you went and picked a movie like one cut of the dead that is almost impossible to talk about and then you go and pick this one that is almost impossible to talk about (laughs) um it's 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 really hard to find much on this movie uh plot wise so again i don't want to sound like a broken record but good job by the fans the people that made this movie like really keeping this under wraps um there aren't a lot of spoilers out there um it's you know trent's really cementing himself as like the challenge pick um which you know i appreciate i think the listeners should as well um and and you can't even there's so many movies i want to talk about that this movie or at least scenes in this movie reminded me of but i can't even do that because i don't want to give anything Mm -hmm. away um there's a particular you know uh, French horror movie that I'd like to t- talk about that we've covered. Mm, uh, there's, I know what you mean. There's an Australian flick that I have in mind um, mm, that is also. Me too. Okay, look. <laughs> I mean, it, it no, is... no, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I, th- I think you can say I, I think you can say there are elements that remind you of High Tension, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there are el- oh, martyrs too. Yeah. Martyrs um, too. There are elements of mm-hmm. Wolf Creek. Yep. Oh, was, Am I right? Yeah. That's Wolf Creek is a great slasher. Yeah, I almost, it is. I almost, and you know I almost what? picked that. Me too, but it's that not available. It's not available anywhere right now. You have to like buy it. You can't rent it. Really? Yeah. Weird. Only the sequel. And they even have like the, yeah. the TV series, series is, is like pretty, pretty recent too. The series is out there, but the original Wolf Creek movie, right now at least, you can't really get anywhere. That was one of the ones. Uh, also, um, Cold Prey. I love Cold Prey, and I watched the sequel, uh, Cold Prey Two is fantastic but i figured i would save that for a sequel yeah. episode so i was just look i was looking for something because at the time i picked this i thought dave was going maniac original and then you know um cat was going the meta reconstruction of 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 slasher with scream and then kevin just threw his pick into a lake so i was trying to i was trying to think of something that was like from the current century that could bring us up to 2016 sure. you, that you was tried, played relatively straight. You tried to pick straight. the lake I actually threw my pick into? <laughs> yeah, I tried, to, I tried to go to the bottom of the lake. I tried to get my car keys out of your pick, and I couldn't do it. Uh, so I just wanted something that would at least bring us up to 2016, and it wasn't a parody of itself. Like, it, it, it's not so... I mean, there are twists, but it's not self-aware mm-hmm. in the same way that... Uh, Sundown or Freddy versus Jason or Scream is. Um, I was a little disturbed that they brushed their teeth in the lake water. That was one. I don't think that's a spoiler. It's Finland, though. It's probably like, cleaner. I don't know. 
you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's true. That's true. Like, You're probably later. paying like $2 a bottle for that <laughs> water at the gas station. <laughs> Stop. That might be a good point. I just think if you're camping for one night, you bring a bottle of water. I, I wouldn't be putting my brush in the pond. I don't know. That's just me. These guys didn't seem real, real strong on planning. Um, <laughs> you know, you talked True. about how the True. premise is there's two older boys and two younger girls. They dupe them into going camping with them, um, not knowing the girls, not knowing that they want to recreate the the original uh, Lake Bottom reconstruct. murders. Reconstruct. They want to reconstruct. They don't want to actually do the murders. Yeah. So there's. But they want to sort of reconstruct. They want to the solve them. Um, it's it's right. Well, it's funny to me that this movie is a brisk 85 minutes long. Um, yeah, and right. they pack Great. so much stuff into it. But if you think about it, like a lot of the things that you read say it's oh it's so fast paced and you know they cram a lot into it. it. The first half of the movie is actually incredibly slow. But when they mm. when he finally pulls the ripcord, like other than a questionable kind of long flashback scene, like in you know sort of the third act. Um, Right. It just right. this movie once it gets going. I mean, he just puts the pedal to the floor. Yeah. Um, and at at times, I was finding myself as much as I enjoyed it being like, okay, like one more twist, and I'm like, I'm out. Like you can't you can't possibly continue right. to keep like unfolding things in this movie. But it doesn't. It doesn't go that crazy with it. It's a very simple straightforward story yes there are some surprises but it doesn't get like super complex um it's a pretty fundamental straightforward ride very economical like you said 85 minutes um i i, I enjoyed it and i hadn't seen it before cat did you look into the um lake bottom murders i did is that, is that i do have a yeah. yeah i've got a uh a little uh, a rundown of the lake bottom murders so it happened in Espoo, Finland, June 5th, 1960s. It was, uh, or 1960. It was two 15-year-old girls and their two 18-year-old boyfriends. Well, well, well. Um, so the between the uh, 4 and 6 a.m., all four were uh, stabbed and or bludgeoned through the tent. So the four were sleeping inside and then someone from the outside stabbed through the tent, bludgeoned with a different object through the tent. Um, and then some bird watchers or some hikers came across them the next morning, found just a bloody mess. One person on top of the tent just stabbed. Um, that is, the, there's only one survivor uh, that one guy, Nils Gustafsson, probably pronounced it incorrectly, um, but he um, he was always, um, I guess not right at first, but later, about 40 years later, they tried to pin him for the murders because his girlfriend was the one who yes. was stabbed the most and like the most violently, yes. and the quote-unquote killer put his shoes on while he was murdering everyone because everyone else's blood is on those shoes except for Nils. Um, but yeah. then those shoes were found hidden down the path um, with some other stolen items. But the killer's never been found. Nils was never he did it. convicted. He did it. I mean, yeah, but also it was the 1960s, so cops were... They basically uh, told everyone... Uh, like, they got the whole town to come and help them look for the murder weapons... So everyone from the town just came and walked on everything. All the cops are just 
smushing everything down with their little foot little, little footprints. Um, so there wasn't a lot of evidence to be had. They never found the murder weapons. There have been some suspects besides Nils, but it's just one of those. Yeah, one of there those was a things. guy. Um, there was a local guy who used to like rip down people's tents. He was anti camper. Yeah. He worked at the uh, campground. He like had. He like he worked. <laughs> he like worked at the store and then was just mad at everyone all the time and would yeah. like throw things at kids and stuff i don't yeah, know yeah yeah and, and they ripped down their tents and yeah. they found him filling in his well actually like a few days later and so they're like oh well let's go dig up that well because maybe he buried the weapons in there but then right. they like searched they never found the weapons well they never dug up the well they like interviewed him and searched and uh, then his wife gave him an alibi and they're like okay well i guess we don't have to dig up the well i think i think one of the weird things about this case and um i strongly urge people to go down the reddit thread on this um it's a big rabbit hole um <laughs> is how did somebody just come upon four people and kill them all with three of them still literally just being in the tent and one of them mm -hmm. presumably beaten almost to death also inside the tent and being able he, to he was drag placed, himself out he yeah. was found on he was found on top of the tent yeah so how does think, somebody I just incapacitate four people there. um and pull this off because it was him because it was him <laughs> Well, he was he was tried. It was obviously he, he him. Was, you guys do. They wouldn't kill he, us. He, he was tried in two thousand four. They actually arrested him forty four years later and put him That's on right. trial, and he was acquitted because it was too late. They, they, there, there wasn't enough. It was obviously him. He was he was found outside <laughs> the tent. Cap, I don't know why you're laughing. His his shoes his shoes had everyone else's blood on them, and then he hid his shoes. Like 200 feet from the campsite. I mean, he obviously did it. Um, but maybe not. Uh, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed the performance of uh, Mimosa uh, Willamo in this. Um, she's in a couple other movies I might check out. Um, there's also a uh, a Finnish quote unquote extreme metal band called Children of Bottom. Um, oh. They're not extreme to me. They're more like <laughs> an extreme like aluminum band. Um, they remind me of like the soundtrack. They remind me of like uh, the Freddy versus uh, versus Jason soundtrack, like Slipknot, Seven Dust, Power Man, uh, so the, Five Thousand, little new metal. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, do you know if uh, Lick Bottom is a uh, sequel to this? I saw a movie a while ago called Lick Bottom <laughs> about a bunch of ass eaters, and uh, it was non-fatal. But um, do you know if that is anyhow, anyway? tied to this movie i'll have to uh i'll, I'll have to uh, do some digging dave i'll get back to you <laughs> there's also lick bottom three lick bottom uh, i assume there's lick bottom two but it's hard to find uh you have to get a hard and copy. now this, uh, I, I like now the, this podcast um, has like reached the bottom power bottom very mature i shouldn't be laughing this <laughs> Everyone gather around. It's time for the horror news. Just when you thought the news couldn't get any worse, we are here to make it so. A 17-year-old murder suspect was inspired by a Halloween slasher flick. 
Texas teenager Jake Evans told police he murdered his mother and sister after watching Halloween. Not the John Carpenter one, but the Rob Zombie one. It all happened in 2012 in Alito, Texas. Evans watched the film three times and stated while watching it, he was amazed at how at ease the boy was during the murders and how little remorse he had afterward. Wow. And was thinking to himself, it would be the same for me when I kill someone. 17-year-old Evans killed his 48-year-old mother, Jamie, and his 15-year-old sister, Mallory. He stated that he wanted to use a knife for the murders, but instead used a 22 revolver to kill his family. Probably should have stuck with a knife if he wanted to be like Halloween, but, but I digress. He had also planned to kill his grandparents and other siblings, but after the shooting of his mother and sister, he called 911. In the 911 call, he stated, Obviously, I am pretty, I guess, evil. Evans was convicted of these murders in 2015 and was sentenced to only 45 years because our system is broken. So the question, everyone, is, do horror movies make people kill? Probably not. This person was obviously very mentally ill and was looking for a way to act out in his rich Texas uh, community and decided to murder his family and then regretted it right afterwards. So don't blame the horror movies.